Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. So what are you up to this week, Mike? Dude, I'm excited. This is episode 25. I've been waiting for it. How about you? I've been I've been better. It took me about 15 minutes for my computer to load this, this Zoom call, but <laughs> I'm getting there. It's been a busy week. Yeah, yeah. Pretty busy. And you're wrapping up that doctorate ready to graduate in uh, what? Couple months, two months, three months, hopefully. Nice, yeah. All right. Well, uh, as we've been saying for some time, can't wait to have you down here, back in the uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia region. I know. I'm excited. But uh, what's more exciting is that we made it to 25 episodes. That's that's a feat. I can't believe it. That is a quarter of a hundred episodes. That is true. And how many books? So we did. We got term limits, transfer of power, third option. Then we jumped ahead. To, lethal um, agent with five books. Lethal agent, total power, five books, and then next month we're, or I guess this month we're in October now. We're covering separation of power, so that'll yeah. come over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been fun doing this with you. So let's Good keep stuff. doing. Good stuff. Well, uh, today uh, we wanted to celebrate the twenty fifth episode by giving some shout outs to you guys, the listeners, a couple people we've heard from on Twitter and social media, some people who sent us some nice emails. We want to do a extended Twitter roundup and a listener shout out as a way to recognize those who have stuck with us, uh, stuck with us this whole time. Yes. After that, we will actually going to wrap up our total power discussion. So we really want to get to separation of power. But I did have one last interview with somebody, and I thought it's super important to get to you. Uh, now, this person was not able to come on the show to record with us, but I, I spent over an hour talking to him, and he's a veteran of 37 years in the electric and power utility industry. So this guy could be your real-life power station, the real John Alton out there, and he had some very uh, telling insight on uh, on the power grid. I got to say, though— Somewhat controversial for for fans of of Kyle here because a lot of the questions he answered for me uh, from the inside and insider's perspective working for utility companies went against uh, some of the common knowledge uh, in total power. So, you know, we'll bring that to you at the end of this episode, some of the things that he told me about how our grid might be more protected than one might think. Right. You know, it's been a few weeks since total power was, was released. Hopefully most of you have read it or in the process of reading it. So now that we've done our podcast on the actual episode, we've had some time to digest, think about it. We, unfortunately, because of stupid marketing people and, or what would you call the branch of that wouldn't allow him to talk? Oh, publicity. Is, like the, um, the public affairs office. The public yeah. affairs office. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't allow him to actually speak on record, but yeah. off record, he had a nice conversation with Mike, and uh, so yeah, we're we're excited to bring that to you. He actually works now for, I guess you would kind of call it, um, not necessarily an interest group, not even a lobbying group, but they basically, uh, maybe a think tank, if you will, or maybe um, it's more regulatory. So I would say almost a, a national regulatory board that oversees a lot of individual power companies and and regional power authorities. And so just because the job was more, took on a national appeal, um, he, he was barred from going to the press. And when, he's, the press. when he said he can't talk to the press, I was like, well, a podcast about some fiction novels. I don't know if it class is classified as press. And he said, well, we just really can't do public interviews. But 
I can give you some information. I could talk to you and you can, uh, you can use it for your own knowledge that you, you might put right. into the podcast, but he couldn't come on the show uh, due to the constraints of the public affairs office at his job. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's do our Twitter roundup, right? Let's do it. I thought we'd start with this. We launched a contest. We posted a few weeks ago, right when Total Power came out. If you can explain the events of Total Power in exactly five emojis, no more, no less. So, um, Chris, what do you you think of these entries? I sent them to you with no name, so we'll announce the winner. But uh, who was your favorite out of all these five emojis for Total Power contest? All right. So we have uh, my top three. Uh, we have one that is a plug, a caution sign, uh, a candle, a coffin, and an American flag. Uh, we have one that's a, a light bulb, then a stop sign, or like a no smoking sign, a fire, a screaming emoji, and then a skull and crossbones. Um, I like that a lot. And then I guess this one is definitely more like you know, pretty much sums up the plot. We have an airplane sheep, which I'm assuming is like uh, when they meet in the barn and, and discuss it. Then they have the light bulb, and then immediately after the light bulb, they have the candle, and then camping. So, you know, it's kind of five emojis was tough. I, if you could, you could probably combine two and, and get the entire plot. But those are my top three. Well, okay. Well, you want to know who you picked? Uh, your first pick, pick with the plug and the coffin. <laughs> it's yours truly. You picked ah, our nice. own. <laughs> you picked mine. <laughs> And um, actually, you know, I guess we'll have to really shout at the third because the second one you picked with the light bulb and the screaming and skull and crossbones, uh, the Atria Mystery Bus, the bus himself submitted that one. So that's, um, I don't know if that counts. Yeah, that's David's. Um, and which one was your third? Uh, num- it would be number, what you sent to me, number seven. Ah, uh, yes, that with the sheep, I guess, because... Uh, or maybe a lamb, whatever that is, because Rap's always talking about eating his animals at the farm. <laughs> uh, that one, number seven, was, hey, Sarah Walton. Sarah Walton, a great Twitter follower. Lots of rap content. So Chris liked your uh, five emojis for Total Power the most out of our our listeners. So we'll be sending you some fresh new stickers. Yeah, we'll reach out to you on Twitter and we'll get out some new stickers. Speaking of new stickers... I sent you some, Chris. We got a new batch of stickers in, vinyl this time. With the rounded edges. Rounded edges, vinyl. We went for the nice ones. I was kind of disappointed with our paper stickers last time. That was uh, subpar. It's all right. We're upgrading. We're 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 growing as a podcast. We're We're growing. growing. And thanks to our patrons, we were able to uh, purchase a new round of stickers. So all of our patrons will be sending out in the mail a couple of these new guys, these... uh, vinyl stickers and uh look out for those in the mail we want to make sure all our patrons feel appreciated for financially supporting this podcast and what we're trying to do all right any other listeners what uh what else have you seen on on the instagram side of things right so yesterday was on yesterday we're recording on october 1st so yesterday september 30th was international podcast day we got a couple shout outs including one from uh, sean crosswords who shouted us out um in support of international podcast day i also got this message message from uh, from john on instagram where he was we he got his stickers in the mail and he was saying thank you and he said he's been really enjoyed 
uh, listening to us and that he started reading these books just back in May and he's finished the entire series. He wishes he could have a new Mitrap book every month, which I think both of me and you would agree. Oh, yeah. So that was nice to, to hear from you guys. Yeah, and you've also got a couple emails, right? Yeah, we got some great emails. And if anybody wants to reach out, our email is mitchrappod at gmail.com. And I've been meaning to share this one with you for a while. It, it really, really meant something to me. Uh, Stephen reached out, Stephen H., and he told us about his Mitch Rapp origin story, getting introduced to the series. And he was really excited to hear that there was a podcast. And he was introduced to the series with an audiobook for Consent to Kill from his father. And being um, legally blind, the audiobooks meant a lot to him. And so really cool that I think one of our favorite books, and I could speak for most fans, one of the most beloved books, Consent to Kill, helped Stephen get into uh, reading Mitch Rapp. And then I love this story. He was taking a public speaking course in college and was assigned to read aloud a book as one of their public speaking assignments. The professor asked it to be a children's book, I guess just as an exercise to sharpen your skills and build confidence. But he told the professor he was wanted to do something he was really passionate about and went out there and pulled a rap and bent the rules a little bit. So... Uh, I don't know if Consent to Kill is a is a children's book. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think Kennedy would approve of, you know, bending the rules. I think that's all right in the rap universe. So, yes, you know, he uh, he went with the epilogue from Consent to Kill, which, man, just that is if, if we don't want to do spoilers for that book. But um, if you know the series, the epilogue of Consent to Kill is one of the high points of all Vince Flynn, uh, all Mitch Rapp, but even, you know, much of thriller literature, that, that scene is up there. So really powerful that he used that for his college professor and the class. But even better was when he was getting ready to graduate later on, the professor of that speech class presented to him a really kind gift. It was a signed copy of The Last Man, Vince's final book before he passed away. And it came in a, a nice special edition box. And uh, Stephen said he, he, Holds that gift in high regard. It's on his bookshelf. Anytime he has a chance to talk to someone about books, he always recommends Vince Flynn and starting with uh, a Mitch Rapp book. Nice. That's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. We also uh, got another email from Jeff, Jeff D. And he had a really cool story uh, that ties back to Minnesota uh, in Minneapolis, you know, where Vince is from and where he got term limits first uh, spread and, and published. And he talked about how Vince always appeared on this uh, radio show, the Garage Logic radio show, which was um, on AM 1500 KSTP. It later became a podcast with the Garage Logic podcast, which I think is still around. But he said he'd listen to the guys on Garage Logic give Vince uh, uh, his first interview every time a new book came out. And so Vince was always on the show. He said he was a laid back guy, really positive guy. And he and he would tell stories, you know, such as when he went golfing with Rush Limbaugh or had dinner with King Abdullah of Jordan or met Bill Clinton, you know, at a lunch. Jeff is saying that Vince on the radio show did a good impression of, of Bill Clinton when he met him. But uh, it goes one step further where where Jeff, who who always admired Vince from listening to him on the radio show and eventually picking up his books, I was doing a fundraiser, a golf tournament, and as part of the fundraiser, they were doing an auction, and he thought, hey, you know, let me send a, a message in Facebook and uh, see if he'll donate an autographed book. Well, Vince said, hey, talk to these people, 
just 10 days later, he had an autographed copy of one of Vince's books ready to go in the auction. And it just really meant something that Vince was so open to the fans, willing to hook them up and uh, and help out with this charity golf tournament. So, And that was, believe it or not, three weeks before Vince passed away. So really right up to the last minute, Vince was connecting with fans, helping out fans, and, and giving back to all the communities he inspired. Uh, that's a, you know, it really shows this guy was, until the very end, just willing to give all he had. Very nice guy. Yes, Everything yes. I've heard, you know, talking to different people throughout this entire process, Vince has been, you know, was a great guy. We should really reach out, see if we can talk to like Vince's brother or something. Yeah, you know, there's so much on the archives too of the uh, the website yeah, that James runs on on VinceFlynn.com. I think we can do, um, you know, a tribute to Vince. You know, just digging into some of that, pulling up some of his old interviews and videos, and uh, maybe that's something we can get ready for uh, next year, 2021. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Better year. Better year. A better. How good is January first, twenty twenty one, gonna feel? I'm gonna get so drunk <laughs> on New Year's Eve. <laughs> is is it just me, or is this gonna be the biggest New Year's Eve party in history? Like, well, I mean, ever. In one sense, no, but in another sense, yes. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna have the results of the election. We hope, unless it's still contested in the courts at that time, we're gonna be moving on from this dreadful year. I just, I don't care what's going on. We're leaving 2020 behind. That's going to be a party, man. It's going to be a party. Uh, you should pro- you should probably cut that. <laughs> I should probably cut that last part. <laughs> uh, screw it, though. All right, so we got one more to share with you. We got um, Joshua M. You know, we've been, not we, you, you have been doing the limericks uh, for the book reviews, and he commented on your limerick for uh, Term Limits. Said he loved the book, and because you inspired him, he wrote his own limerick. So I'm going to read that for you. Coleman versus Congress, no tears shed. May your aim be true as you fire some lead. Congress has sealed their fate. Flynn has Coleman clean slate. We have Mitch, now a new thread. I like that. I like it. Someone limericked our limericks. They limericked at us. We we would appreciate more limericks at us. So if any of you reading these books, like the limericks, hit us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Yeah, we'll so read them out. Joshua um, posted this one on Goodreads, but we got to get some uh, Twitter limericks going for separation of power. You know, next week that's our book. So how about Chris? I, we need a we need a Chris Furman limerick for separation of power. I think I think it's time. All right, in in two episodes, I'll I'll give you my I'll work on it. I'm not I'm not a poet. I'm a biologist. I'm I'm not a writer. You know, I write facts. You know, so. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Well, um, <laughs> it's been fun. We have so many other followers. We thank you so much for making it to episode 25 with us. We hope you enjoyed this little tribute to some of the fans who reached out, and of course, you know all the other ones we've spoken to through social media or or shared their Mitrap origin stories with us. We thank you for for joining us and uh that's the reason we we want to keep this podcast going and get to the very end of, of the series. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right, what do you say? Let's uh switch over topics and let's get to our total power discussion. Yes. All right. All right, so as we said at the top, it's been a few weeks since Total Power. We've talked about it. We've tweeted about it. We've, you know, 
discussed with other people about it. So Mike had an opportunity to talk with someone who's an expert in the field, gave him some great insights. And I'm just going to, I don't know what Mike knows. So I'm going to play the inquisitive reader here and sort of, or, you know, I'm going to back Kyle here and you're going to try to try to pin it, pin him down. Uh, Cause what you're telling me, what you, what you texted me was that there's some holes. Um, yes. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to start asking you questions. So yeah. I guess, does he think that what was it logical, what power station did and, and could that actually happen? Because we did do a podcast before the the book came out where we read and a lot of what we read, which I believe is like what the research was, uh, the beginnings of the research of what Kyle did sort of hinted at what we saw in the book. So, Yeah, well, that was perhaps the most surprising thing when I called up uh, this friend. He's a family friend. He's been working since 1983 in various positions related to the grid. He's an electrical engineer uh, by training but has also worked in other uh, regulatory positions in addition to continuing to be an engineer for many different utility companies up and down the East Coast. And that was the most striking thing of our conversation. I I called him and said, hey, would you be willing to come on the podcast? We read a book about uh, terrorists who take down the U.S. power grid, and we want to know how likely the events in the book are. And so the long and short of it was he thought this whole thing was – Hollywood making up these plots and was not very grounded in reality, if I'm being honest. And so I want we wanted to bring you uh, the snippets of this conversation and go over it because, like Chris said, we thought and, and we found a lot of research that Kyle relied on that scared a lot of the readers of this book. And after this conversation with uh, an engineer, you know, familiar with the grid, I felt a lot more at ease about some of the protections in place. So, I mean, but to be to play like the advocate of the writer like it is fiction and sure i mean but i guess we we do appreciate these novels because of the reality you know that they and the research that they put into it so i I, i'm not gonna i don't know are you i want to i want to back kyle here and say he did do his research and based off of what we read you know something like that could have happened Sure. Uh, could have happened, but let me let me talk to you about some of the things that our okay. guest explained. All right, all right, all right, all right. He, I started off by saying, so are the basic facts correct, that we're looking at around 55,000 substations um, across the country and that you would only need to attack maybe nine nodes or so where the grid interconnects to be able to take down the whole thing? And the immediate answer to that was absolutely not. It was a clear, there's no way... There are nine interconnected nodes that if those are down, the entire U.S. grid could go down. Part of the best protection that Mike, by the way, Mike is was our guest, that Mike explained was how the grid is so balkanized in that, you know, thinking of the Balkans as a region in Southeast Europe, a bunch of little countries each kind of running the show on their own since the breakup of Yugoslavia. He said the utility grid There might be 55,000 substations, and they're coordinated by over 3,000 different utility companies or regional power authorities, and they're not necessarily talking to one another. In some cases, their actual grids are so distinct from ones just a few miles away. They may be able to connect for possible uh, emergency situations to support one another to bring power to the different, different parts of that regional grid, but... 
in terms of safety and security, they could very easily be disconnected and they may even run on different systems where one is it can't necessarily talk to the other. But so uh, in the novel, he says that you just need to hit nine, but I'm pretty sure he had a list of more than nine and they got like some of them got obviously got captured because, you know, Mitch was on his trail and mm -hmm. he was sitting at one of the ones that he thought was going to be attacked. But so you got to guess that they're hitting weight. They're just the, the men are just going and going and going until they get captured or get killed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we ever, I, I can't remember specifically, but we don't ever actually know how many uh, men that ISIS had in the United States. So I think though, to that point, um, it was way more that yes, the, the physical, the physical attack was important aspect of it. Mm hmm. But I think the, the, the cyber attack and the overloading yep. was way, way more important. Yeah, and we'll get to that because Mike also had some experience um, in the cybersecurity behind the grid. Not okay. as much, but okay. some. Remember, he was an engineer. But here's one other point just to that. He mentioned sure. these three interconnects. And he said you can find maps of them. And he gave me a couple of websites. And these interconnects are these deliberately separated systems and these points at which you could disconnect them if needed. So if there is any sort of connection nationwide from grid to grid, he said there's three distinct interconnects, an Eastern, a Western, and of course, this is America, Texas has its own. And But that comes into play, right? Because that's why mm -hmm. that's why Power Station believes that, oh, Texas is like a little bit separate. Exactly. That, that's That's why he believes in the trap. And so that's true. That is true that Texas would be able to maybe get back up and running faster because it, it's its own uh, interconnect was, was the word he used in the industry. But he said this can also work as a failsafe. So even if one were to go down, there are these failsafe uh, interconnects where it would have absolutely no effect on the other two thirds. So there could be a failsafe where one cuts off and is completely separated from the others. So it's another way to balkanize the system. So that an attack in one region might not necessarily affect the other regions. Okay. Of course, you're you're right though. Could you then flip that on its head and use use those as as the means to attack? Sure. But he said it, it really would work as a failsafe. So complete national power loss is it was so far out of his thinking he couldn't even rationalize it. But here's here's the bigger reason is he wanted to talk about how prepared the industry is in their response, and he said. It's well known across any sort of government oversight boards when they come across uh, when they come into uh, interagency meetings, power and electricity is way beyond in the term in terms of uh, emergency planning and protection. He said things like from water or communications or transportation. He said electrical utilities always get shouted out as having the best emergency plans in place. And he said, a lot of them do drills very regularly and they ask questions like, well, he actually said at one point the Department of Energy came in and public regulatory commissions have gone to state boards and they said, we are going to demand how many hours is acceptable. If there's power loss, even on a grand scale, he goes, you have to have plans in place and practiced 48 to 72 hours or at least emergency power for critical infrastructure. But if you can't get those substations because they're, you know, like what Kyle says, because obviously they were taking out the ones that were so highly specialized. Yep. So that's why I think this uh, this attack, yes, I do agree, but like 
the the attack was planned pretty pretty precisely he knew what he was doing and he knew he was probably the ones even if he was let's say let's say there's not nine that are like critically important to cut the power but let's attack the ones that are so highly specialized that we don't have a backup for mm-hmm. that we would have to order you know and we we can't get that in and then like i guess all of these situations that they probably plan for they're not planning for blanket nationwide power outage you know, because Rap can't contact people. Rap can with like his special satellite phone, or what, I don't even know what I forget what they're using. What are they using? Are they using satellite phones? Yeah, they probably have some sort of satellite phone. Yeah, but but about the spare transformers, I I told I asked him about that. I said a big uh, component of the plot is places that the transformers are so specially made you can't get a new one up and running. And he pointed me to the Step program, and I looked it up. It's the STEP the Spare Transformer Equipment Program. And (laughs) he he said, if you look at every major substation, so if there were these nine that were so critical, he said, there is a 100% chance that they have spare transformers ready to go. They have transportation plans. He even said, most of your major utility companies, and we were talking about your LA or your uh, Houston or New York, he said they, they would have fleets of backups available. It said already loaded oftentimes on uh, flatbed trucks, uh, sometimes on train rails, and they have an emergency plan that's a 48 to 72 hour plan that includes the transportation. He, he told me one story um, working somewhere in the northeast region where they did lose power. And he said they instituted a plan that within hours, the entire highways were shut down, even major highways. Uh, they had a plan to redirect traffic to set up one of these emergency transformers and they actually had to close the highway for three months just to keep the emergency transformer up and running and he said they did it they did it they had traffic redirected it was kind of a pain in that regard but the plan was there and this emergency transformer ran for three full months to uh, to provide power as normal so at least if we're talking about the major substations like the ones in the book that bring down the grid Felt pretty confident that this spare transformer program, and you can read about it on the Edison Electric Institute website, is is well prepared with emergency uh, plans in place. So these things have been considered. And he almost he actually you said sound at one like point, the senator. Mm-hmm. You sound very much like the senator that is arguing back against these upgrades. Um, I, I would I would pose that as like this guy sounds like uh, the people on the hill who don't want to upgrade the the power system. Well, even if you get those cranky senators, let me point you to a couple other um, organizations uh, that Mike mentioned. And the biggest one he told me was was founded in 1963-64. It's called NERC, N-E-R-C, the North American Reliability Electric Corporation. And he said they were actually founded after the reverse of what you're saying. It was a threat from the federal government in the 60s that said, either you fix these issues you come up with emergency plans, or they even threatened to have the Department of Energy take over. And he said, we are going to nationalize the grid if we feel you do not have proper plans in place and protection. Uh, ever since the 60s, NERC, the North American Reliability Electric Corporation, was was created to avoid that so that the, the grid can be privatized and can still run with regulation, but not nationalization. Well, actually, I went on the website, and the mission stated on NERC's website is, to meet the critical infrastructure protection standards, 
to assure the effective and efficient reduction of risks to the reliability and security of the grid. And NERC, uh, you can also read about these exercises he was telling me, uh, they run what's called the grid X exercises. So grid, G-R-I-D, X, the letter X. And they have these conferences um, every once in a while where they actually war game out these scenarios. They purposefully create a scenario that breaks the electric system, probably similar to what we saw in the book. And he said they already have planned out bringing large utilities together to get them involved. The people who participate in these are federal, state, municipal. They even bring in the water authority uh, folks, uh, gas companies, electric utilities. And he said all the utilities are talking amongst themselves in these scenarios. And they're talking with both federal, state, and municipal overseers. And I, I went on the website, and one of the more recent GridX uh, events had more than 100 executives from the electricity industry, cross-sector partners from other utilities, and government representatives attending. It included someone from the National Security Council, the Department of Energy, Department of Homeland Security, the Transportation Security Administration, FEMA, the Department of Defense, uh, the FBI, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, in addition to all the utility, major utility companies across the country. And they actually do exercises in exactly what we're talking about. But what if, I guess the main thing to poke a hole in this would be they would have to have very specific things put in place because obviously the communication is going to be gone, right? Mm -hmm. Only... The people who can get to that bunker, wherever it is, that with the president is going to have communications with each other. So before anything happens, they have to have strict, like, uh, you know, a flow chart of like, this happens, then we immediately do this. And, you know, we if we can't get a hold of somebody, we just, we roll with it. Because if not, because there's going to be mass chaos, you know? Of course. But one of the, one of the main things with the, the plot was that it triggered a lot of fires and... Yeah. So, and it also, you have the whole water loss threat. Yeah. So there's other things that are coming to play that it's not just power that they have. Like yep. when you have like a local blackout, yeah, like the Northeast is blacked out. Most of the time it's, it's not because there's these mass fires that people are also dealing with. And because, you know, you're worried about the loss of, of, of water because no one has power, like all that elevates hysteria which then adds another element to it that i think i don't know i i would argue that i i don't think people have these strict if x happens we do z mm -hmm. or we do y or we do yeah. y and z you know that type of thing i, I would i was really glad to hear that mike actually did feel that way maybe not like you're describing like individual family plans like still i don't know what the hell i would do in this situation and total power scared the crap out of me thinking what the heck would I do? But he did give me some assurances that the managers of these utilities have already thought these issues through. Of course, they can't get every attack right. But he said in terms of the industries wanting to be ahead of the game with emergency plans um, and anticipate issues, he said it would be naive to think the major utility companies, the ones that could affect large populations in urban areas, it would be naive to think that they do not have these plans in place. And he said, working for over three decades in the industry, his confidence level was really high that there's a 48 to 72 hour window that in emergency situations that involve a physical attack, they can get them up and running. Now, um, 
obviously the cyber. Obviously, we've seen uh, things a little longer than that. Also, before we do that, though, you mentioned the water loss and the wildfire threats. I, I asked Mike, I said, they play a big role in creating chaos in the book, particularly when the water can no longer be pumped. And again, he had the confidence to say, I've practiced scenarios losing power to water plants uh, and, and pumping stations. And he said, part of the electric industry plans how to get those up and running within that time frame in an emergency situation. He said, a lot of the leaders in utility emergency management, they almost act or they have background in military. They they act with resilience and have, have degrees in, in disaster planning. And he said, the even more so than protecting substations, water power plants often have two, three, or four generators on site so that they can keep pumping. Uh, he even said there's a very close relationship between power companies and water utility. Uh, he said there's been times where power companies actually have asked the water utility to provide additional power. Whether the power uh, company in the substation is not producing enough or they're not at peak capacity for whatever reason, he, he had some situations where the generating and generation uh, capacity at a water uh, utility was enough to feed the power company surplus energy so the power company can provide it to customers and consumers. Like that's how close they work together, that the generators are so strong at a lot of the water plants, they could supply energy even to the power companies, which to me was like, wow. I feel pretty confident then that that we have a backup or at least we we have these utilities talking to one another. But I think, again, it's that it's that whole 48 to 72 hour window, right? If you can't meet that, mm -hmm. if you master an attack that can get over that hump, then I think everyone is screwed. Yeah. You know what I mean? We also know how many times, think your job, right? Or even think your family. How many times did you have an emergency plan? And then when shit hits the fan, you it realize very quickly that plan does not apply. Yeah. Either yeah. either you don't have the organizational structure to implement it or it just you didn't plan for the right thing. So, yeah, you're right. You know, you mentioned wildfires. Um, I asked him about that. He said, again, he has confidence that the professionals he worked with um, who actually have degrees in this thing and he's only been on the East Coast. But he said he's been in some conversations and knows that folks who do oversee or or manage and regulate utility companies in dry areas, think of your Californias, he said very often uh, they would have fire jumper teams. He said he knows of some power utilities that are the ones whose budget goes towards um, uh, forest fire suppression and fire jumpers. And they're even trained by the power utility managers. And so he said a lot of companies have already anticipated that if it's a high need region for that concern. Now he said, if you surge areas and you don't properly manage them you don't cut back the brush from the wires and you're not doing proper forest management on your lines sure that could lead to a pretty bad fire in dry conditions but again he said plans are in place to properly manage power lines and clear them out who knows with budget cuts if that's one of the first things to go you know why would why would you hire teams to uh to cut down trees when you know you're barely trying to hang on financially in a in a recession or a crisis but any well-run utility company is putting funding into those things already, clearing power lines of debris and, if necessary, training uh, fire suppression teams. So I did bring that up with them. And again, a high level of confidence.
of course, we all have confidence, and then that's why it's called an emergency, right, is something comes out of the blue. But it was good to hear that someone who actually has years of experience um, in the field felt that strongly about the events of the book, not necessarily um, having to worry about them coming true wholesale. Yeah, I, you know, it gives me a little bit of confidence, but I, I still think that like the cyber attack is the main thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do have a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm hoping these companies have, because the only way he was able to get in was because he was given access, you know, like that. And I, yeah. I guess we don't really know how he's, he is power station. John Alton is smart. Is he a master code breaker? I mean, obviously he, he created a worm, but like he was given access. Sure. Because he had to, he, he was told, all right, poke and prod, see where our weaknesses was weaknesses are, sorry. And you know, without that, would he have been able to have the knowledge to get in? I don't think so. I, yeah. I don't think he's that smart. So that's a good ta- a good point. We talked a little bit about a possible cyber attack, but more because you and I had discussed a, an EMP yes. attack or a disturbance that uh, affects the communications grid. And uh, Mike actually pointed me towards the EPRI, which is, again, another one of these organizations that runs the Black Sky Program. And I was like, okay. ooh, a sexy name. That'll be good for the podcast. <laughs> you know, kind of like, ooh, very like spooky stuff. But what the what the Black Sky program was, basically I looked up this exercise and it's part of the Electricity Subsector Coordinating Council. Uh, so again, another council that is putting plans into place for emergency response. And he said it's made up of utilities, CEOs, people on R&D committees related to uh, electrical engineering and even communications experts in the energy management systems. So basically, again, it was another council that does convene these um, emergency disaster scenarios. And the the black sky is particularly if there's a disruption to communications uh, in our atm- due to atmospheric events like an EMP. And so he cited an example of uh, working, you know, in New York and how New York came together with Dominion Power, you know, in Virginia, in the Mid-Atlantic. And there was a Canadian company involved. And the federal government basically said part of your exercise is to plan communications. That's why we have an international Canadian company, a Mid-Atlantic and a Northeast company to basically plan in a black sky um, uh, event. What would you do to keep communications open as you as you try to get the grid together? And um that that same Again, thing happens. I, yeah, go ahead. I just I think you're putting too much stock into our government and our government readiness, and you're putting too much trust in them that they would have the the full planning. I mean, at the same time, we also we like the CIA. We we you know we like Mitch Rapp and the idea that the CIA would have that. So I guess we're st- we're putting stock in in that as well. But you know, I don't know. It's just. In this situation, Alton was in the prime position to perform this attack because he was, if we're just looking at like, can, is the book plausible? Yeah. Not not necessarily like, is this attack plausible? But like, Alton was the perfect character to perform this attack. Because one, he was smart, you know, smart enough to, to yeah. do something like this. Two, he had the ambition to do something like this. Three his circumstances allowed him to do something like this. It's true. 
You know, it's like it's like the president. If 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 I shouldn't say that, it's like if the CEO of the company wanted to take it down, they're in the prime they're in the prime position to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess that that would it's go back. different than a worker who wanted mm-hmm. to take down the company. They'd have to figure out. You know, I don't know. Sure. Does that go back though to the initial point? Because that's how we wrapped up saying that. The reason why Mike concluded the events as I was laying them out, you know, from the plot of Total Power are highly unlikely. The main one was that no one individual can have that power to access that many systems, both kinetically with a physical attack, but also through cybersecurity, simply because of how varied the connections are. You know, his main thing was how balkanized, you know, close to 3,000 different utilities, and on top of that, a number of... um other commissions that meet and put in emergency plans because there's so many protections built in just the way the system designed felt it was very likely that you can bring down the whole thing and yeah. um, particularly I, unlikely I get, that nine attacks physical attacks would be enough to do it well that that's definitely reassuring that like there's yep. not just nine there's not just nine places that have barbed wire fence yeah. that if I, if I went and got my nine best buddies to go take it down, like with, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. But I do think you have to be, and obviously, you know, this is a work of fiction, but you have to like the, obviously the author or Kyle has put power station Alton in this, in the situation to, you know, have access to this disjointed balkanized system. Yeah. So that's why it's able to work. So I still, I still believe in the plot. Yeah. I mean, no doubt Kyle crafted that that story and the plot checks out. Um, we just thought it's important to bring to you, the the listeners, um, an alternate perspective. And I got to say, no, I, I was I, I, I was satisfied uh, with my talk with Mike, just reassured in some way. But um, at the same time, doesn't mean I completely agree with him, um, you know, and completely throw out the other research that both we've done and Kyle's done. You know, you got to be somewhere in the middle. But I think important to to share with you guys that perspective as well. You know, no, I, I think it's helpful because one, after reading the book and after doing our own little research before we even discussed the book, it it really made me feel vulnerable, and especially after Kyle predicted a a, a pandemic, right. or not predicted, but like you know talked about right. a pandemic and then we had one, it it made me feel I don't know very vulnerable. Yeah, and after talking to you, learning what you learned, there are actually people thinking about this. Yes, we probably put too much stock in our government that they're going to actually have a plan. But I, I do think in the book, it's a very particular situation. Yeah. Well, um, how about we wrap up with actually, this was probably my favorite part of talking to Mike and in the interview. And it was sure. probably the most Flynnian as well. You know, that's our, our, our word we coined is very Flynnian. Um, Mike participated in a congressional investigation. And as he's telling me this, I just couldn't stop thinking of my favorite scenes of Mitch Rapp are sometimes when he's in a conference room or when Kennedy's in front of um, a congressional committee. This story, I was like straight out of the book. So he said he was called working for um, some utility and he was called to a congressional investigation of some events surrounding the power grid. And he was straight up asked by a snarky congressman. He forgets if it was a congressional committee or a senatorial committee, but he was asked, will our generation stations be able to withstand a 747? What if tomorrow a plane struck one of your generation stations? And he said this congressman was like trying to corner him and say like, see, look, you wouldn't know what to do. 
And he turns to his partner. In his mind, he's thinking, what kind of fucking question is that? And his partner <laughs> leans into the microphone, who he's testifying with, and goes, well, isn't that your job? The job of the federal government to make sure planes don't go down in the first place? That is exactly what would happen in one of these, you know, like Janice Crane could have shot that right back, you know? Oh yeah. 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 She would have, she would have, she would have had that line right on the tip of her tongue ready. And Alton would have been sitting there cracking up, you know, backbenching off to the side. Or even you could see like a congressman saying something to, to Mitch or Irene and, you know, them coming back with something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, we hope you found this interesting, kind of to see an alternate point of view. You know, we just watched the debate the other day. I think it's super important that we all be ready to look at both sides of an issue. And so when I talked to Mike, I thought it was important to put that out on the podcast for you all so you can see an alternative perspective on um, on the events of Total Power. Yeah. Cool. No, that was fun. Well, Chris, what is coming next week? All right. So finally... October, we're going to discuss uh, separation of power part one. We're going to, we liked the format that we did for uh, total power. So I think we're going to stick with it. Uh, we're going to talk about the first half, which I think is up to like chapter 23, right? We talked about that. Yep. Um, and then the week after we'll finish up with uh, the second half of separation of power. So yeah. And then just to give an update for the rest of the year, we're going to be doing separation of power, executive power, and then Memorial Day to, to wrap up the new year. So I'm, I'm excited to discuss these next couple of books. It's nice to, it was, it was nice to like do some new books and yeah. now we're getting back to some oldies yeah. and we're getting into like the meat, yes. the meat. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't so high on third option, but yeah. we love transfer of power. But I think for now we're going to get in. Like I love Memorial Day. I yeah. love Memorial Day. I think and then we're going to get to consent to kill. Like oh, I'm excited. We're going to kick off like on our theme of 2021. It's going to be a good start to the new year. Someone is consent to yeah. kill. So is we, it, is yeah. it February or January? We, we end the year with Memorial Day, so that means within the first couple of months of 2021. Yeah, we're getting there. And then shortly after that, we'll we'll get to American Assassin a few months down the road. Ooh, yep. Nice. Yep. Uh, we got a couple of ideas planned, is particularly around American Assassin, but uh, a couple other interviews and things along the way. We've been uh, we've been waiting for some of these books to come up. So it was nice doing Lethal Agent and Total Power. You know, getting a little Kyle Mills involved, but um, I'm excited to get back to old school Vince, right where he was hitting his stride too. You know, like if Term Limits created the universe, Sans Mitch, Transfer of Power, then drop Mitch into it. Third option was kind of setting the stage of him as a spy separation of power it's uh it's game on he is at the pinnacle of his career you know ready to go yeah so yeah right so we got to thank our uh, patrons uh special shout out to our special operator sherry f and a uh, great shout out to our special agents uh, matt roman don dennis peggy Catherine, ray and jeff Yes, and look for your stickers, your new nice vinyl Mitch Rap Pod stickers coming in the mail over the next few weeks. Looking hot. Yes, sir. And please, 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 we can't say this enough, subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at MitchRapPod.com or using our Twitter handle, at MitchRapPod. Same thing on Instagram. And as always, just let Mitch be a Mitch.
Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.